You're listening to the School of Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Roger Osorio. I'm the author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm also the founder of The School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform where we help people define success on their terms and reinvent themselves to make it happen. I believe that as the years pass, our values, passions, and purpose evolve, and we must reinvent ourselves in order to stay aligned with who we really are and what matters to us. This podcast is all about exploring different journeys to reinvention so that you can learn the strategies for how to successfully launch your next reinvention. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the School of Reinvention podcast. My name is Roger Osorio. I'm the host. I'm also the founder of the School of Reinvention, a reinvention coach, and the author of the book, The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. I'm really excited for today's episode because we have with us John Tarnoff, who is a literary literary agent turned studio executive and film producer, turned tech startup founder, and currently a career transition coach, speaker, and author of Boomer Reinvention, How to Create Your Dream Career Over 50. You know, I learned about John actually a while back when I was getting started with my own book project, and I had uh, an original concept for it. I had to do some research for it, found his book, learned of his name. In the end, I pivoted away from that, and so I ended up not actually going all the way into or reaching out to him for an interview. But the moment his name came up for an interview on this podcast, I was like, oh my God, I know who John Tarnoff is. And I was incredibly excited uh, to be able to like connect with you, John, and for us to be able to have this conversation. You have a lot of experiences to share. You have a lot of really great stories. Yeah, I'm excited for everything you can share with us to help us out on our journeys to reinvention. Tell us a little bit about your story in your own words. Well, thanks, Roger, and it's uh, great. I'm very excited to be here as well because we are of like mind. We're we're two peas in a pod here, talking about human potential and reinvention and and kind of going beyond limitations, self limitations to to create the life that we want. So, uh, yeah, you kind of uh, nailed some of the high points. I think that uh, one of the things that I've come to realize kind of unifies my experience uh, in my career has been this focus on people. And I made a shift around age 50 from really a focus on, let's just call it a project-oriented and a content-oriented view of my career in in Hollywood, uh, working in studios and independently, developing movies, making movies, to a focus on people. And and that, that shift really happened as a result of the fallout of my tech startup during the bubble in the 90s. And I think this is something that happens to a lot of people when they get to mid-career. Kind of mid-40s to mid-50s, you start thinking, well, okay, I've kind of hit some of the the milestones here personally, professionally, and now what, right? What's, What's the future? And the ironic thing about that in our business culture is that just at the point where you're feeling like, man, I'm getting into third gear, fourth gear. I know what I know. I, I can put all the pieces together. Business culture turns around and says, so are you going to retire soon? Because in the way in this kind of industrial mindset, when you get to be 50, you're on your way out. And I can't tell you the number of people that I've worked with. One of the first things they say to me is, I can't believe it's taking me this long to get another job. I've never had this problem before in my life. All of a sudden I turn 50 and it's crickets out there. What's going on? So that's kind of the inception point here for our conversation, I think, and kind of for the role that I have taken on now in working with people 
in this mid-career stage, trying to figure things out, trying to create this runway for them that's going to go as long as they want. Because, you know, we're now talking about a 60-year career, right? This is, this is the new buzzword that I'm hearing out there. It used to be a 40-year career. You go from your 20s into your 60s, you were done. And with longevity, I guess a general sense of greater health and vitality and engagement that we find ourselves in, in this big connected world that we live in, people have no interest in stopping at 65, right? People feel like they're 50 when they're 65. So why stop? They're going to go at least another 10 years, maybe longer. We have so many more options today to work in different ways where it's not about going into the office at nine o'clock and quitting at five. You know, you can work wherever you want, whenever you want. It's about delivering value. It's not about punching a clock. So I'm going to stop there because I'm sure we can kind of dive in on a lot of these levels, but I'll turn it back to you. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that part of your story because that's actually why I found your name in the first place. When I wanted to write this, the first book, it was aimed at this audience for this reason. When I got laid off by IBM in 2020, I looked around at a lot of the faces that were being laid off with me and most of the people in the group, I was 39 at the time, the, you know, everyone looked like, or many looked like they could be my parents, maybe my, you sure. know, like, uh, very, they were young parents perhaps, but <laughs> cause I was getting older, but yeah. they could be my parents. And I yep. thought, wow, like, and so when I was working with this group, I got to hear a lot of these stories that you're sharing, a lot of these challenges that they're having just to get an interview or even just to get a conversation going on with someone. And I thought, man, something's not right here. And to your point, th what I discovered was that, yeah, you know, longevity, people live longer than they used to, but we're still operating on the old rules. You know, when right. people said that, oh, you know, I mean, the retirement ages, all of these kinds of things, because that's set, people just assume, oh, you're reaching this target this old number, but we're still going by this old number. So yeah. yeah, you must be too old now. And it's like, no, that was like maybe 20, 30 years ago, that was too old, but that's not too old now. That's like probably hitting a new level of prime, maybe like a second prime easily that you're hitting where you have so much more insight, so much more experience, and it's coming together in a more powerful way. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the economy is slowly but surely starting to turn around and there's a lot of data that's coming out. And I think employers are starting to realize for a lot of reasons uh, that uh, they need to be focusing on a real multi-generational workforce because good ideas come from all generations, all sets of experiences. You want fresh ideas from innovative young people. You want seasoned processes and wisdom from older, more experienced people. You want to mix it all up and, and create the future from that. Yep. And it's the, you know, in the research, I found that it's that one area of diversity that no one seems to pay attention to. You know, we, we pay attention to a lot, but this one is like, oh, we're okay with age discrimination. Like, we don't mind that so much. And we don't even cover that in the news. Oh, my God. So I have a course on LinkedIn uh, called uh, Preparing for a Career Transition Over 50. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I talk about in that course, and then there's another course called Mo Managing Multiple Generations, is the fact that only 8% of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs consider age as a wow. diversity factor. 8%. Wow. There it is. That's the heart, that, that's the actual number right there. So, I knew it was low. I didn't know how that was that low. <laughs> I mean, we, we talk about ageism as being the last ism, and I think that's a good example of it right there. Yep. Yep, exactly. And yeah. So let, let's kick things off. You know, one of the things that I learned about you through your work is this idea of getting fired. You know, you've been fired 
39% of the time. Right. So, wow, right. you're pretty good at getting fired. You have a pretty good uh, firing like average, if you will. They do have a good <laughs> so, track record when it comes right? to it's, I mean, in the yeah. world of batting averages, you'd be like, you know, outstanding. Outstanding. So tell us about your outstanding track record in getting fired. Right. You know, you got stories so, there. I want to hear right, them. Right. So this came up in my TEDx talk that I delivered in 2012. And the topic of the day was transformation. And they said to me, do you want to talk about this topic? And I said, uh, do you want me to talk about all of the transformation that's been going on in entertainment and you know, uh, streaming services and all that? And they said, you can talk about whatever you want. And I had been to our earlier point about this shift around the longevity and longer careers, this idea that boomers coming out of the 2008-2009 recession were having a hard time recovering. They had lost a lot of the value of their retirement accounts and their mortgages and all this stuff. And so with ageism, the need to continue working, how were they, we going to do it? And so I came up with this initial prescription for how to keep your career going, how to avoid ageism, how to circumvent the system. But in the process of kind of analyzing this for myself and, and kind of proving my credential about what entitles me to stand up here and talk about career reinvention, I realized that I've had to do a lot of reinventing. And a lot of this is because I worked in the movie business and the movie business is notorious for being volatile and, and, uh, and administrations change and there's a clean sweep. And, you know, we see this in the headlines all the time. I mean, most famously recently, I guess, over the last year or so, you had this happen at Disney where, uh, you know, Bob uh, Iger's handpicked successor got swept away and they brought up Bob Iger back, right? So now all of the guys that, that the old guy brought in they're all back out. Iger's bringing all his people in or promoting his people. So, you know, this happens all the time in this industry. You're seeing it at Warner Brothers, for example. But to that point, I had to do this calculation. And in doing the calculation of all the jobs that I had had and all the ways that I had transitioned out of those jobs, 39%, I think it was like seven out of 18 jobs, I was fired. So the question becomes, what does that mean today to get fired? Uh, it's no longer, I think, this bad mark on your record that uh, that you know you did something wrong, which was the way traditionally used to be. You got fired while well, you did something wrong, right? It was your fault. You couldn't hold on to that job. And that was in a different world where you could work in a company for 40 years. And the company would, as I say in the talk, the company would nurture you and take care of you and plan for your retirement and send you off with this wonderful pension. Well, those days are gone, right? doesn't happen like this anymore. Everyone's out on their own. So in a world where the economy is shifting, your job is about fit. And fit is not forever. Fit is going to be for a period of time where who you are, what you do, what you deliver matches what the company needs. And if you think about that and adopt a more consultant-oriented mindset versus an employee mindset, then you're starting to empower yourself to think more proactively and I think more successfully around how to manage your career in these times. So that's why the, the firing thing becomes kind of a flashpoint in the conversation around, whoa, what does that mean? And, and what do I have to do? And, and maybe I shouldn't feel so bad about it if it doesn't work out because really, do I want to be at a company where I'm not really delivering my best work and they're not really where it's a square peg round hole kind of a fit? No, I want to find the right fit. 
You know, I think that this uh, topic or this idea of fit also applies to applying for jobs. This is an area where, you know, I've actually applied or I've, you know, when I've advised people, I tell them about, you know, you not getting the job really doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your talent or your abilities or your skills or your experience. It most likely has just something to do with fit. That's assuming they even got to look at your application, by the way, because there's all these, you know, resume scanners that are not that great. But putting that aside and assuming that they did get a look at it. If they didn't pick you, it's more about fit than anything else. There's a lot of talent out there. I mean, and think about it. When you're down to the last three candidates and, you, and you're and you upset that you finished number two, it's like, you know, do you recognize like how many people applied in the first place to that job? Look, they could have, you know, flipped a coin or rolled a dice and they would have been like the same, like the outcome would have been yeah. the same for them when it comes to the final five or six right. candidates. You all are like literally the same. It's just a matter of like fit, like, oh, I connect more with this person. And so I think it applies in a lot of areas. And and again, that same idea that you just shared, not taking that personally, not taking that as like a personal hit like that. Oh, it's about me. Like I'm no good or I failed or I, you know, I did something wrong and changing that narrative. I would actually flip the script a little bit and say, it is about me. And from my point of view, I want the right fit. Case in point, I was working with an executive recently, gotten laid off from a big tech company. And because he was pretty prominent, he started getting action quite quickly. And we had just started working together. And he really wanted to work on a long-term career development framework for himself. But this job came up and it was kind of miraculously a company that he was aware of. It was in his sector. It was doing some leading edge uh, work. The uh, company was venture-backed, loved meeting the CEO. I mean, he, this, is, this is the guy that they wanted. He very quickly got to the final round. He was their designated guy. He met with board members. He met with the other C-suite. I mean, it was going really, really well until it came to the offer. And it turns out that the offer that they made him when he read the fine print was completely out of integrity with what they were talking about. So all of the stuff they told him about the company culture and their plans for the future and the amount of responsibility he was going to get and their faith in him, none of that was in the contract that they proposed. It was a real wake-up call for him. And we got a chance to work through this. And he realized that this was not the right fit for him. That if he had taken this position, he would have been constantly in fear that the rug was going to be pulled out from under him. That despite what they said about wanting him, that they really were not putting their money where their mouth was. And that there was always some kind of out that they could arbitrarily use to get rid of him, having nothing to do with his performance. And by the way, his performance was not being, in terms of bonus structure, was not being properly recognized. He was going to be put in a pool with other people, and it really didn't. And, and this is a guy who's going to, who was in sales and biz dev. So those are really concrete results that usually get recognized in, in, in bonus structure. But it became about him pulling out from a very lucrative offer because he knew that on a certain level, he was making himself vulnerable. He was going to make himself crazy by taking this job. And even though he needed the job and he had just gotten laid off and he had the family and three kids, he passed. He knew that 
sooner or later, and I think my encouragement had something to do with this, you got this offer, you're going to get another offer. This is a great example of why you want to wait for the right fit and not just jump because, oh my God, someone's offering me a job. I, I, I get, oh, they, they want me, right? No, they don't necessarily want you. They think they want you or they want you with conditions or whatever that might be, but it's not a fit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it bo- it works both ways. You know, when you flip that script, it's the same both ways. Like you yeah. have to decide whether this is the right place for you. And I think you're absolutely right about the firing side of it. That most of the time, it's really probably about fit. And I like what you said about fit is not forever. That fit is temporary. And that's really important because that means it can be there. But that also tells us that it will not be there forever. You will change. The company will change in different directions, whatever, or only one of you will change. Bottom line is that fit will just not be there forever. I don't know that temporary is the right word, right? Temporary sounds like Mm -hmm. it's provisional. Not forever means that you're there as long as what you do and what they want match up. And this happened to me at uh, DreamWorks Animation in the 2000s, where they hired me at a time when they were just merging their digital animation with their traditional animation arm. And they knew that they were gonna be focusing on digital animation from this point forward. They needed to do a lot of integration of those traditional artists. They needed to aesthetically bring the technology side into an awareness of what the, te- what the aesthetic was that they wanted to go for. A lot of transition problems that they were dealing with there. I had a traditional film background, but I had a technology background. And my technology company did deal with animation and a lot of technology around that. So I became the right fit for them at that time because I could kind of speak both languages. And the work that I did there from 2003 to 2009 was very much about that integration and expanding a lot of talent-related initiatives, which set me up perfectly for what I'm doing now. But when things changed and things changed with the recession, and I saw this going on, and they went from a blue sky, let's get all this development done, let's do these crazy initiatives with people, they had achieved a lot of those goals, and I had helped them achieve a lot of those goals. So. Now the focus was going to be on, let's take these franchises, Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, and let's productize them. So it's no longer about blue sky, it's about manufacturing. I'm not the right guy for that. I'm not a manufacturing steady state kind of a guy. I'm the, you have visionary program, let me figure it out for you, let me grow it and make it work and get all the kinks out and then hand it over to someone who can run it. And that's exactly what was going on at DreamWorks. And I actually went to Jeffrey Katzenberg, who I worked for, and I said, Jeffrey, (laughs) it's a strange question, but is there anything left for me to do around here? And he, he smiled in a characteristic way, and he said, look, you've been a great fit. You've done wonderful things. No one else could have done it quite the way you did it. This has been an amazing run. He said, but you know, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably the end. And he said, why don't you go talk to some of the people, you know, everyone here, we all love you. See if there's something else for you to do that matches what you want to do. And maybe we can figure something out. And I did. And I spent a few months just talking to everyone, running some ideas, and nothing really worked, right? It was not the right fit anymore. So reluctantly, because I really would have loved to have stayed there. It was a great company and loved all those people. I had to leave, right? 
So it was my opportunity to go off and do something that was more of a fit for me. So now th this is interesting because we, we started this conversation talking about the times you've been fired, you know, and now we're kind of getting to this point where you're firing the company. You're right. realizing this is no longer the right fit for me. Yeah. And so there's this idea of firing the company, i.e. quitting, uh, quitting your job. And I think this is important because a lot of times when I talk to people, the idea of quitting is usually preceded by something negative. Something bad had to happen first. In this story, nothing bad really happened. The company just, to your point, moved in a new direction or they were focusing right. on something new that wasn't aligned with you anymore. As a career transition coach from that perspective, you know, what can you like tell people in terms of like making that decision and and kind of the thinking that goes into making that quitting decision? Um, not the one where, you know, someone's treating you badly, something's going badly or whatever the case might be, but the one where actually things are good. The company's doing really well. I'm doing really well, but they're moving in a new direction and it doesn't align with me anymore. And gosh, what do I do now? There's an old saying that comes up that I want to throw in there, which, cause it's funny and it, it goes to some of this in a certain way. And that is this idea that God fires you from jobs. You're too dumb to quit. So that if you let something go too long, you are going to get fired. So to your point, try to be observant and mindful every day in your job to do a temperature check around, is this still a fit? You're going to see if it's starting to not be a fit. You're going to see how the staff meetings are going or the departmental meetings are going. You're going to see how the energy is around what you're doing versus what other people are doing. Uh, you, how your work is being valued. Maybe when it starts to get really noticeable, all of a sudden you're no longer invited to certain meetings or your supervisor changes. You see changes happening on your team. Your supervisor gets moved, right? There are all these changes that are going on. And what the company is always going to say is, oh, nothing's going to change. Everything's fine. This new person's going to come in. It's just going to be the same way as it was before. Well, it never is. There is no change without change, right? So you, you can't expect things to be the same because it's, a, it's like a Rubik's Cube, right? You move one section of it and then the other section changes, right? So be mindful about these things. And instead of feeling like, oh, no, I got to batten down the hatches. I got to kind of, you know, do my work and keep my head down. No. Look at it. Stare it straight in the face. Realize that you may need to start thinking about the change. One objection that I've heard to that, to to uh, the idea of quitting, right? If the, if the fit is not there, again, all those other things, everything's great, but there are changes happening. Something's happening that's not right. Is that? But I really like you know I I can't leave the salary or the lifestyle or there's always an objection right. for like why right. I can't quit and I love what you said that you know it's gonna happen one way or another <laughs> like and so you're gonna do it how how would you help somebody navigate some of those objections as they're kind of shutting down that option right well I, I think those objections that you raise are foolish objections because there's always gonna be another job out there somewhere right another salary out there somewhere and. At the end of the day, particularly when you get into this phase of your career, midlife, you really want to be working on purpose as opposed to be working for the money. Because if you're working for the money, sorry to say, you're not going to be making the money very much longer. You have to be working on purpose 
because that's why they're paying you. They're paying you because of the purpose that you bring and the value that you bring through the purpose to the work that you do. Having said that, your fit may be wearing out, right? The direction may be changing. You may actually, without knowing it, have gotten bored, disengaged. You may no longer be as involved or committed to the work. It's hard to hide that, right? So these objections that you raise are, again, foolish, defensive. What I would counsel most people to do on that is, again, to go back to the mindful work every day, noticing what's going on around you. Because if you catch this sooner, it's like catching a, I mean, I hate to use the word, it's like catching cancer really early, right? If you're going in and you're doing screenings, you know, if you say, if, if you learn that mm -hmm. you have a predisposition to a certain condition and you're working with your doctor intelligently to detect it, yeah. well, you're going to get a much better outcome if you detect something early and deal with it early than if you just go into denial and just put your blinders on and wait for it to get really, really bad. And by then it's too late. So this is what happens in most jobs where the indicators are there and you have the time to do the prep work. Now, there, there are two possibilities. You may find that there is a, another fit at that company. You may find that it is possible to navigate your way to a different position. You may also find that it's not going to work out, as I found out at DreamWorks. What I didn't really do at DreamWorks, which I have kind of since learned more about and which I work on with clients, is to start prototyping that next job. Start working on what that next job is going to be. And in a strange way, if you're feeling that, that your fit is not happening where you are, it's a really great Rorschach for, well, well what would the fit look like? Right? What would that look? Let me start making some notes on this. Start doing some journal entries about this. Start mm -hmm. making some lists about what you love to do, right? What you do well, you know, where you're making most of the traction, where you have made most of the traction in your job, up to the point where it started to turn. What was that like? Is that something you want to replicate? If so, how could you do it? Where could you do it? That's where your network starts to come in. Start engaging with people around this. Look for other companies. Start talking to your competitors. Start figuring out what's out there. Start connecting the solutions that you deliver to the places that need those solutions, that have those problems. So start turning that ship around and becoming a little bit more permeable to information and opportunity from the outside and start to kind of engage so that you start having clear sense of where you could go. And ideally, you're going to find another position before they fire you. That's the grail, obviously. Now, in, in a layoff or a reorg, you don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen fast. So what I would say overall is that your everyday career strategy is to be always looking for what the exit's going to be always be preparing for that exit, for that next job. 
always engage with your community, professional community, around what are the opportunities out there. Focus in on what it is that you deliver best, what are your successes, make sure people know about them, and really begin to have this large-scale interactivity going on around your career so that if something happens, whether it's a slow change at your current company or it's a fast reorg or layoff and you get swept up in this, in this wave having nothing to do with your performance, you can pick yourself back up and go, I did this great job there. This is what I deliver. This is who I am. Now let me go find a replacement for that. And to your point about fit, about finding your own fit, that really helps you narrow down the opportunities that are out there. So it's not like, well, what are, out of everything that's out there, what could I do? That's the wrong question. Because you could do a lot. And one of the big problems that I see with people in mid-career is because they know so much and they can do so much, they think, well, I can do any number of these things. I, let, me, let me just find one of them. So it's a very generalist approach to this career thing. I think you have to specialize. I think you have to decide what is it that I really, really do best, that I really love to do most, where I can be most useful to another employer and really narrow it down and then only focus on those opportunities and discard everything else. One of the things that I that I teach is, you know, the power of a passion project or a side hustle, how that's a way to start to your to use your term prototyping what the next thing could be. And, you know, to your point, it's like it gives you a reason to engage with other people, to start connecting, to yeah. start having the conversations. And and I love the way you put it. It's really important that you become permeable to all of this new information and these new people and make sure that you always leave a door open to these new ideas because you never know how that might come back to serve you. Or, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, somebody who might be earlier in their career and doesn't yet know everything or is still getting to know themselves. Yeah. It's through those projects, through those prototypes, through those conversations that you start to get to know yourself better, which again, like when the time comes, if the fit isn't there and you want to proactively do something about it, you'll have a way better idea of what's a good fit for you and what's not. So you can make that decision better and not just end up in a place where you're like, hey, wow, did I just do this again? This is not right for me either. Um, you know, which happens, which happens when you don't know yourself, you can easily end up in the same or worse situation. It's like a rebound relationship. Yep, exactly. Exactly. You, way too quickly, you jump back into that and you weren't really thinking about it. I, I, before we finish up on this uh, topic of firing, I wanted you to share like one of your stories about getting fired and and some of those feelings you went through and really kind of give us like those part that part of the story, because I feel like, you know, obviously this is something that if it hasn't happened, you're like scared, like, oh my gosh, it's going to be the worst thing that could ever happen to me in my life. So you think of it that way. And of course, if you go into it that way, it will devastate you. Tell us a little bit about those feelings and your experiences. On the downside of it actually goes to this idea of making sure that you are jumping into something that is the right fit or pretty close to a right fit, because if you don't, then it can turn south. And we also were talking about this idea of a toxic workplace, a toxic relationship with your company, your boss. And how similar that is to the what we know about toxic relationships interpersonally, namely that it's really hard to leave a toxic relationship. 
and you're talking about objections. Oh, I can't leave the salary. I can't leave, you know, the, the company or the work or whatever. That I think happens very often. And it happened to me in a toxic situation where it's a, not a great time in my career. And I, and I had left another company. I was kind of rushed by the CEO of this company that, that wound up hiring me. But I was not working for this CEO. It was, a, it was a bi-coastal company. This is a guy. This guy was in New York. I was working for the guy who ran the, the office in LA. He and I didn't get along. We were very different oil and water kinds of people. Bottom line is I was there six months. This guy fired me ignominiously. One Monday morning, he called me into his office without hardly looking up from his desk. He said, today's your last day. I want you to clean out your desk. You're going to be escorted out of the building. We'll send you your check by Friday. That was it. I was shocked. I was humiliated. In retrospect, I shouldn't have been. In retrospect, he did me a favor. But you can imagine the coldness of it, right? And I'm, I'm a you know, sensitive, nice guy. I mean, I'm not one of these kind of hard-edged Hollywood cigar-chomping guys. So this was devastating for me. I didn't put this on my resume for years because I thought, well, it's six months. It was terrible. Never should have taken the job in the first place. But I got attached to it. And I got attached to this idea of, and this is the toxic relationship thing, if I can just, if I can just get them to see, if I can just make one, you know, a success. And I had, I had a couple of, I had starting to make some traction. Things were starting to go well. I felt like, oh, I'm really starting to, to, to fit in here. No. It was never going to work out, right? No amount, no amount of success that I brought in was going to secure my job. So when you're in that toxic situation, it's really important. I think it's really important to get some outside counsel and to really open up about the situation, to get some perspective on what you're in and get out. Now, if you can, again, find your way to another job. And it may be a temporary, it may be an interim job. You may be able to pick up some consulting work uh, to tide you over. But I think it really is important if you're in a toxic workspace to get the heck out as fast as you can. Other example, which we talked about, the other, the other flip is taking advantage of opportunities. So before I talked about, oh, when you're seeing that things are not going well in your company, look for possible other opportunities at that company where you can be a better fit. Maybe a different department, different division, different supervisor, whatever, different role. So I was working with a company that was being sold. It was a production company. It was in transition from its original owner to a new owner. The guy who had brought me in to help with this transition was now out because the acquiring company had come in. I had set up this office. This is an international company. I set up this company, this office in LA to do productions here. And I got a call from the head office. Guy said, look, um, you know, we understand you're a very accomplished guy. You've done some really good work, but we're not so sure that we want to maintain this office. So uh, I'm going to come in next week. I want to sit with you, talk to you about what's going on, see what, what you guys are doing. But I'm just letting you know that we're probably going to shut the office down. I said, oh, okay, well, that's unfortunate, but I understand what you're saying. And, you know, you're buying the company, so you can do what you want. 
So he comes into town. We have a few days of meetings and go through the projects that we're developing. He meets all the people. And, and at the end of it, he says, look, you know, this is great. You've done some really good work here, but it's just not part of our, uh, not part of our configuration. This is not what we do. So, you know, we're going to negotiate something, some settlement with you and your, your, your staff here. And I said to him, look, before you do that, may I make you a proposal? And he said, what are you thinking about? I said, well, I think that there are some opportunities that you may not be aware of or seeing that we could take advantage of that might make sense if the company's willing to entertain it. He said, okay, can you have something on my desk tomorrow morning? I said, sure. So I went home, worked all night, put a proposal together. This is this is a long, long time ago before PowerPoints and word processors and fancy graphics. So typed something up, printed it out. He took a look at it and uh, called me back. At the end of the day, he said, look, I think this is interesting. I've just sent it off. I faxed it off to my colleagues. Stick around and let's see. So sure enough, they bought it. They bought the idea. And this guy who had come in from overseas said, look, uh, I'm actually going to come in and I'm, I'm going to part partner with you on this. And uh, you're going to run the production side. I'm going to run all the admin. And we did that successfully for the next four or five years. So that turned into a great win just because there was this opportunity. And I decided, you know, what the heck? I'm going to give it a shot. Worst case, his, he says no, and I'm out in the street looking for another job. But best case, they say yes, which they did. And I, I got to reinvent my job there. A lot of times when these things are happening, if we're getting fired or let go, or if there's an acquisition or a layoff or whatever, we, it, you know, it seems like, well, that's it. That's the only option, uh, you know, and, and I, I have to be fired and there's only one option. And you said, let me uh, give you a second option here. But I think that's the, you know, really actionable insight here and strategy for people to consider is that, you know, there's always another way. It doesn't mean that the other person, you know, you could have pitched that to your point and maybe it wouldn't have been taken. And hey, look, at least you tried. But there's usually an opportunity to do that if you at least step up and ask. And the least you could do is ask. And I think that that's really uh, an empowering way of looking at situations like this. Uh, you could take back at least a little bit of control and say, let me put something out there before this thing is made final. That's powerful, I think, for people to really think about when those moments happen. There's also another wrinkle on that, which is that when you're in that situation and you have a cadre of people that you're working with Let's say they had said to me, sorry, we're closing the office. My proposal was still a good proposal. So I could have taken that proposal to other companies. I could have found a small cohort of the people that I was already working with and said, look, why don't we go out, the three or four of us go out on our own and do this. There's always a proactive entrepreneurial opportunity. If you're doing good work and you're actually addressing a market need through the work that you do, even if you are maybe two, three steps removed from actually hitting that market, if you're generating that value, don't just feel like, oh, I'm an employee, I got to go find another job. You may be in a position to start taking greater control over that generativity that you're generating and really making go of it. And, and it, as, I, as I'm telling you the story, it occurs to me that the DreamWorks actually was formed that very way. Because DreamWorks was formed out of Jeffrey Katzenberg getting fired very publicly at Disney by Michael Eisner. And 
and look, they had been feuding for a while. It was not news that Jeffrey had a bad relationship with Michael. You know, this was you know public knowledge. And so he's walking back to his office as he tells the story. He's walking back to his office and he's kind of a little bit of a daze and he's looking at the, at the call sheet, see who's called and he sees Spielberg on the list and he sees David Geffen on the list and a bunch of other people. So he calls Spielberg first. And of course, it being Hollywood, they already knew that he had been fired. You know, Spielberg is sitting on a beach in the Bahamas with Bob Zemeckis. And they're like razzing him about this. I mean, if you can imagine, right, you know, Steven Spielberg and Bob Zemeckis teasing Jeffrey Katzenberg about getting fired. And at the end of the call, Steven says to him something like, oh, you know, forget about it. You know, why don't you, you should just go off and start your own studio. At the end of the day, he, he's talking with Geffen and, and, and David Geffen, who was a major, major music mogul, big mover and shaker, and a very close mentor of, of Kastenberg's, to, to him, so uh, who have you talked to today since this happened? He said, well, you know, I've talked to this person, this person, and then I talked to Spielberg and Zemeckis, and they were teasing me that I should start my own studio. Silence. And Geffen says to him, you know, it's not such a bad idea. And the following week, I think it was on a Friday or a Saturday, Geffen, Spielberg, and Katzenberg met in Spielberg's living room and decided to form DreamWorks. Wow. That was a three That is, well, that's yeah. a crazy story, first yeah. of all, you know, because I, I didn't even know Spielberg was a part of that originally. That is incredible. And what I just heard there, going back like to the context of the original conversation, was that this is option C. Like you had an option C too. So not only did you have your option B, but you had an option C, which was like a, a version of option B. Like I could always take this same proposal and take it outside and run with it on my own. And again, I think the same theme and the same strategy, yeah. it, it, the, the message is the same, is that, you know, propose something. And if that proposal doesn't work, propose it to someone else. You know, because if that person says no, it doesn't yeah. mean that someone else will. So you never really know, especially if you feel like that entrepreneurship could be something for you, then you have a shot here. You already did the work to come up with a proposal. I was just having a conversation with someone earlier today who was telling me about their journey and talking about when they were in a job doing really great work, excited. They put an awesome proposal together for a really great program. And then it got voted down. And he was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I mean, all the work that went into it, but not even that. It really addressed the problem. And this guy was super talented. So he really believed, you know what, there's more to this. And well, he ended up quitting. I guess now thinking of it through the lens of what you're saying, he noticed that the fit was just not there. No, this is not right. He left and he took that proposal and he essentially started his own thing. And well, that's what he's pursuing now. And, you know, he's early on in that, but it's working out much better for him. And he gets to do things on his terms with a lot more control. Hey, here's a little pro tip for people about this kind of exquisitely strange transition of moving out of a job into another job is, and, and on the idea of being proactive and being entrepreneurial, never, ever portray yourself as being unemployed. Always portray yourself as being a consultant, doing what you do in your job. You're what that, that preferred ideal job configuration is. Put that on your resume, put that on your LinkedIn, that you are in a consulting practice. And in that consulting practice description, on your resume and on your LinkedIn, you bullet point those key 
roles, deliverables, practices, whatever it is that you deliver, the solutions that you deliver, that's your ideal role. So you're living that ideal role as a consultant, and you may actually get some clients while you're waiting for the actual W-2 job to arrive, but never think of yourself as unemployed because A, people don't like to hire people who are unemployed. They want to steal people who already have a job. And number two, it's going to really help you deepen in this sense of who you are, what you deliver, what your zone of genius is, your superpower. And that's going to help you find a better fit. That's a really great insight. You know, if you are an accountant or if you are whatever it is you might be, that doesn't really stop. There you go. Because you no exactly longer have right. that job. In a way, it's like in your terms of like, you're a consultant all the time. You've lost your primary client. But you don't stop being an accountant because the primary client doesn't take your degree, doesn't take your experience, doesn't take who you are. They simply say, Absolutely hey, right. I'm not your client anymore. And now you're on the search yeah. for a new client yeah. who wants to snatch me up because others might come snatch me up. I love that. I think that is a really empowering way of looking at that. I've never heard it put that way, but it makes all the sense in the world. And it really allows you to your to use your words to really deepen your connection with who you are and like what matters to you. and and whatever it is, an artist, a writer, an author, like who can, whatever it is, that doesn't stop just because someone is no longer your client or your employer. It just means that you're going to be looking for a new client or employer. It's this consultant mindset. You know, you always yeah. want to be thinking of yourself as a consultant, providing value to a client, never as an employee working under the direction of a manager. Yeah. So as we get ready to conclude this conversation, I, I want to learn a little bit more about what you're working on now and how you help people make the transition. I mean, sure. I, obviously, I discovered you through the book, but I know that you're doing more than just a book. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in your company these days? Sure. So career coaching practice has been this evolving discovery process for me. I've been doing this now for the last um, 10 years, I guess. Uh, and uh working on the principles that I started with coming out of that TEDx talk. But what it comes down to now for me is a framework, which I call the three elements career builder framework, and really comes down to these three key elements that serve to ground every career in every business. And those three elements are define your superpower. Your superpower, again, is that thing that you do and deliver that is uniquely yours, that draws on all of your background, that is the most useful thing that you can do, because everyone is unique. You may do the kind of job that's similar to what someone else does, but no one does it quite the way you do. So figure out what that is, articulate that superpower value. The second element is build a community. That a network, simply just networking, a network will stand by and watch you fail, a community will step in and help you succeed. A community is going to be the people who resonate with who you are, what you deliver, have a vested and a shared interest in your success, and who understand and can represent you in such a way that they can refer projects to you, people make introductions, and where you are also able to return that favor. You're part of this community, right? So you want to build this community of shared interest, and that community is going to bring opportunities to you. 
so that at the end of the day, you never have to search for a job again. That's the ideal outcome of this. Knowing your superpower, building your community. And then the third element is professional branding. And this is the idea that you need to stand up for what you stand for as the final wraparound element in this process. Because you need to be known for what you do. And you need to have a very consistent and persistent message around a set of topics that go to what you do and what you deliver, what's going on in your industry, what are the trends that, that are important, what are the solutions that you can build community around so that you become known and trusted as a professional for what it is that you do. So whether this is getting involved in professional organizations, conferences, putting events together, speaking, posting on LinkedIn. It's as simple as posting on LinkedIn and having a consistent perspective. So you only post about two or three topics. That's what you do. That's what you're known for. You're the go-to person around those topics. And it's a flywheel. Defining your superpower gets you in touch with your community, which gets you noticed through your thought leadership and, uh, and, and professional branding, which then comes back around and supports your superpower. So that's the system that I teach and work with people in one-on-ones and groups. I'm starting a community meeting that's going to be meeting uh, monthly. And if you want to find out more about this, there is a little ebook checklist uh, that I've put together around the four questions that you need to answer in order to start reinventing your career, reimagining your career. And if you go to johntarnoff.com slash four questions, the number four questions, no spaces, you'll get that, uh, you'll get that little handout. All of these links are going to be in the show notes. So you'll, uh, you'll have access to all of this if you look down, most likely, <laughs> whatever platform you're uh, listening to this to on. And that will be available. We'll make sure to include that one that goes right to the ebook so that people can connect with you. Is this the fastest or the perhaps the first step someone should take if they want to get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, I think if they're interested in taking some action on their career, then this is the first way to do it. But feel free, please, to connect with me on LinkedIn. I think I'm I'm the only John Tarnoff that I've discovered on LinkedIn so far. So if you just search for me on LinkedIn, I should come up. If you just search for me in Google, I'll, I'll come up. We'll have all the links in the show notes. So we'll make sure that we have every single link that's relevant and pertinent so people can connect with you. I, I love what you said about the the these the framework, the, these these three parts and the personal branding. You know, you mentioned even a really actionable thing people can start doing on LinkedIn. Just talk about, pick a topic and just talk about that all the time. But I, I, I just want to- Oh yeah, go ahead. I just want to say it's it's not it's not personal branding it's professional branding and I make that distinction because I think personal branding is I think we, there's a there's a kind of a bad taste in our mouth about personal branding it's like oh it's like very uh, egocentric mm-hmm. right it's like uh, feels like uh, like I'm some kind of influencer or creator uh, uh, but actually this is really about your professional value right and establishing that very specific professional value and reputation that you deliver. And going back again to the strategy you shared, it's super simple. It's as simple as figuring out what that topic is and posting about it regularly. The hard part is doing it regularly. So that's really where the heavy lifting is. 
but the simple part is that it really takes just like one post a day about that topic. But if you're engaged with your community and you are firing on all cylinders with your superpower, then you're going to get all sorts of material to talk about because you're going to be on that track, right? You're going to be reading stuff. People are going to be sending you articles. You know, you're going to be part of this soup of relevant, actionable information that's supporting your career, the careers of the people in your community and beyond. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. I have, I think, a, a backlog in the hundreds of topics to write about that I'm not even sure when I'll get to all of them, but it means that I'll never have a writer's block. All I have to do is look at that backlog and say, because the community, people ask questions and I, wrote, I keep those questions because you never know. I may not know the answer today, but maybe in a few months I'll be able to write a blog post on that answer and then I'll be able to expand on it. So I, I hear you there, the power of community. You get access to all of these insights that otherwise, if you were working by yourself only, you would never have. John, thank you so much for this. Such a great combination of insights, lessons learned, really interesting and cool stories about your career, especially in Hollywood, because a lot of this is super public, so people can relate to the names and the experiences that you shared. I think that part is really interesting. Of course, I think the, the most important thing is that this is a possible journey. Everything, you know, getting fired, first of all, not the worst thing that can happen to you. This is a matter of fit. It's okay. You can go out and find something else. There's more than likely going to be something else out there for you. It's just a matter of time and getting out there. And I think that's one of the things that people are most scared about. And, you know, I think you address that incredibly well with your message, your stories. Uh, so I appreciate that. And then, of course, the power of building more options. Just because someone's giving you one doesn't mean that you can't create option B and C. Just keep on going. Uh, so always keep that in mind. And I think that's another thing. And then the third thing I wanted to you know highlight is also what well, you talked about toxicity. You know, if you're in those situations, you got to go away from at the end of the day, as painful as or difficult as it might be right now, it will cost you way more if you you don't do something about it sooner rather than later. So getting out sooner. Uh, so I just wanted to lift those three up. We'll have some great show notes with some bullets on highlights on all of these Thank things. You, Thank you again for your time. Pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Reinvention podcast. Again, I'm your host, Roger Osorio. If you're ready to start your journey to reinvention and want to walk the path with others, visit www.rogerosorio.com and go to the School of Reinvention to check out for yourself how a community-based coaching platform can help you begin your next reinvention. You can also go to rogerosorio.com to purchase my new book, The Journey to Reinvention, and receive some exciting bonuses. Until next time, make your day great.